Now, this weekend, I want to speak a message, a Christmas message. Uh, we got Christmas all wrong, okay? And you might be thinking, why is this pastor always talking about Christmas when it isn't Christmas time, okay? He really must love Christmas or he's got his dates all mixed up, okay? But in any case, I think that, yeah, it is, uh, Christmas is past, almost three months, and I don't particularly like to speak about Christmas during Christmas time because it's just too blasé, okay? And to speak about Christmas when it isn't Christmas time is actually to force us to see beyond our forked up lens about what the birth of Christ is all about. I promise you today, as you listen to this message, it'll be a Christmas message that you've never heard before and is never presented to you. And especially because it isn't presented during Christmas time, it is going to be so different. And the reason I want to do so is because Christmas has been so hijacked by the world and by things that has got nothing to do with the birth of Christ that it is literally endangering our understanding of what the birth of Christ is about. It's causing us to become blinded to the expense, the magnitude, the width of the truths that God wants to communicate concerned through the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. And because we celebrate it during Christmas and all the trappings of Christmas, it has reduced our understanding of what Christmas is. I, I, I know this because every year around about December, you know, even in your office, you know, you find like everybody is walking a bit slower, work gets done a little bit uh, uh, delayed, and everybody kind of says, oh, you're mood, uh, mood, uh, you know, and half the staff is off on holiday. I remember and also when I was working in a secular, I would walk into office, you know, during Christmas uh, season, and my bosses would be singing in their office, you know, and this guy would be singing, dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh. And yet all these things has got nothing to do with Christmas. And as Christians, we need to come back to a place of discovering again what is the context, the setting, and really the message of the birth of Christ that God intends for us to receive. This weekend, I want to bring to you three aspects about the birth of Christ that you probably don't pay attention to, and I believe that you will have never heard about this before. And it is so, you know, it is, it is so important, and yet we fail to see these things, and we underappreciate what God seeks to do through the birth of His, uh, through, through the giving of His Son, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ as a human person, born as a little child, given in this world so that He could bring salvation. And I'm telling you this, there's so much more that God wants to communicate to us. The first thing I want to show us is that, you know, uh, the birth of Christ has a context of darkness. And that has implications as well for us. You know, Christmas is seldom told and presented in the context of the actual atrocities that take place in the original event. And Christmas, the first Christmas, is shrouded. It is, you know, contained and context by that atrocity and that darkness. Amen. Please don't for a moment listen to these songs that they sing. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. White has nothing to do with Christmas. There's nothing white about Christmas. Hello? Doesn't snow in Israel. <laughs> you know, the context of atrocity essentially begins when the wise men came from the east and they made known to King Herod. And in this case, there are something like six Herods that are there that the Bible speaks about. This is Herod the Great. Okay? And they told Herod the Great that there is one born who would be the king of the Jews. They consulted the scribes and the Pharisees and they say he would be born in Bethlehem. And so these wise men goes to Bethlehem. But Herod proceeded then when he, was, he knew that he was being betrayed by these wise men and he wanted to eliminate all his political enemy, how much more one that is coming as the king of the Jews. After all, King Herod, you know, the Great was ruling over the Jewish people under the Roman Empire. Now, he did so by ordering that 
all the boys below the age of two were to be executed in Bethlehem and in all and its vicinity, okay? And this account is found in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 to verse 18. And I want to read this to you. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined for the wise, from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We got to read this in the tragic magnitude of what it really, really is. The birth of Christ, if it was ever properly enacted in some drama or in some pictorial way or even in a movie, will never fall within the category of being family-friendly. It would have been rated R21 because I'm telling you this, imagine little toddlers, boys, two and below, babies being dragged out into the village square and being casually executed. It was not by lethal injection. In those days, they would have speared the these babies or they would have cut them into half. It was cruel. It was atrocious. And this was reality of life under Herod the Great. A man was known for his political deference to the Romans and how his political maneuverings enabled him to consolidate his power. He was known for his great building projects. He built the temple that Jesus walked in. Therefore, he was called Herod the Great. And, but, not, but not only that, he was also known for his madness and his extreme cruelty. He was known as Herod the Great. It is known that he had something like 20 wives. And, uh, you know, around there. And he killed many of his wives. And he had many sons. And he also killed many of his own sons whenever he considered them to be a political threat to himself. Now, I want to encourage us that when we read the Bible again, you've got to realize the Bible is not all rainbows and unicorns. Instead, it is stark. It is bleak. It is painful. The context of the birth of our Lord Jesus is that Jesus was born into, not into a time of national stability. There was no technological advancement, no internet, no handphones. There was no medical breakthroughs and people died young. It was brutal times run by egotistical tyrants. Life, in short, was tough. Amen. And as though to make this clear, the tragic loss of these young, innocent lives accompanied the birth of our Savior. It is very interesting that when you examine the massacre of these young uh, boys, that this event was somehow unrecorded in the history books. Josephus makes no mention of this, neither were the ancient texts making any reference to this, and it seems to be completely forgotten in the historical records, and yet somehow it made it into our biblical text. Why? For one thing, you've got to realize this, that the times that Jesus lived in were so brutal that unless there was a death toll that was sufficiently large enough, things don't get reported. Take, for example, today, if a, a, a policeman in New York City was shot dead, you know, in public, it would make the headlines of all the newspapers all over the world. But yet every day, tens, twenties of police officers in the continent of Africa die and give their lives, and nothing is ever reported. Because the value of life is different in different places. In the same way, you know, you know we are told this, that Bethlehem was likely a village of around 1,500 people with its vicinity. And actually, calculators will put it at that, you know, there are probably, you know, the boys, the number of boys uh, two years and below would probably be in the tens and not in the hundreds. So maybe about 20 to 30 young boys gave their lives in this little massacre. And because the numbers are so small, the history records feels and deems it insignificant. 
It wasn't enough of a dent to make it into the history books because the numbers are too small. But I want to say this, that these 20, 30 boys that died, they were not so insignificant as to escape the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Their deaths of the, this death of these little children were observed and they were seen by God hundreds of years before that. The loss felt by their mothers were given voice and articulated by Jeremiah the prophet. And God spoke about their lamentation, their weeping and their mourning because history only sees numbers, but God sees every life. And history would not even record this, but God says, I'm not going to forget these little boys and these children who are the very first martyrs that died with the Lord. Amen. That died for the Lord. And this is the context that frames the arrival of the Messiah. So please don't ever sing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. This year, when Christmas comes, bring your friends. But they, I'm telling you, they'll not be greeted by blinking uh, lights. They will not be gre greeted by Christmas trees. They'll be greeted by blood splattered on the walls. How would you like that? Because that's the real context of Christmas. Amen. And when we observe this, we got to realize that our gospel was born in times of hardship, darkness, evil, and tragedy. It's important for us to grasp this. It was not happy, a happy occasion where everybody is clapping. There was just tragedy surrounding it. In the midst of darkness, tragedy, shouldn't it be normal that people would lose faith? When things are tough, shouldn't people get bitter, indifferent, and apathetic? And yet, I want to tell you this, the history of the church in the last 2,000 years tells us that the exact opposite happened. The church seems to thrive, especially in times of darkness. When persecution is increased, the people become stronger. Instead of live, losing faith, people get stronger in their faith. How can this be? Why is it like that for Christianity? Perhaps that is why the birth and the death of our Lord Jesus in both events are situated in mindless, bloody atrocities against the innocent. The killing of the toddlers, the crucifixion, these were both events that were extremely violent and unjust. And Jesus was not unaware of the human capacity for evil, that man is able to do such terrible things. And yet, despite of that, Jesus stepped into the midst of it. He gave his life for this wicked humanity because he knew that he had the capacity to redeem us. God did not avoid it. God did not choose for Jesus to be born in the safety of a palace or in better times, in a better season or a better era. God did not skirt around it. Instead, God plunged his own son, Jesus Christ, directly into the most cruel, inhumane, wicked, painful expression of humankind. Not only was Jesus untainted by this you know, this, this state of the world. And he still came to a place where he gave his life willingly as an expression of love. Jesus not only survived in darkness, he thrived in the most hostile environment. In this context, this awareness enables us to take heart. Amen. 2,000 years later, we understand this still, that our faith is not built only on good times. Amen. We take heart that Jesus went through a worse of humanity and he flourished under the worst circumstances and therefore he gives us grace so that we can thrive as well when there is great darkness around us. Amen. It was the prophet who said, Arise, shine, for thy light has come. It comes not in the brightest of day. It comes when there is darkness and gross darkness that covers the earth. And understanding this context, seeing Christmas in the correct light, helps us to understand that the gospel is meant for all times. Amen? Amen. 
If you start thinking Christmas is all the beef and the roast beef and the turkey and the presents and the nice lights and the warm feeling, I'm telling you this, you miss the point of Christmas. Our gospel, our faith is one not just for good times, but it's born in bad times. Ours is a message that has been tested by tragedy and by atrocities. In fact, the experience of our Saviour makes Him a God who fully understands what we go through in our lives so that in the worst of situations, we know this, that Jesus walks with us. Amen. And we got to learn to read our Bibles from the lens of what it truly is expressed to. I told my wife many times, stop the Christmas tree. No more, throw it away. I'm so tired of setting it up, tearing it down every year, you know, just get rid of it, you know. I spiritualize it by saying it, it drives us away from uh, the, yeah, but she insists on having the Christmas tree, so what to do, you know? But I want to say that, hey, we got to look beyond that, amen? You got to realize what the magnitude is because if you don't, then you miss what our faith is about. You miss the importance of the birth of Christ. You see, when God sent His Son, He put all these things in place. There is a width, a latitude of truth He wants to bring to us. Don't miss that. The second thing you got to see is you got to see the cast of personalities that appears. Within, within the account of our Messiah's birth, there is a cast of characters that appears in the gospel. There are the wise men, the shepherds, there is Simeon, there is Anna. And each of these persons is curated by God in the narrative of the gospel because they represent a simple message that Jesus came not just for the rich or the wise, for the poor or the simple. He came for all men, all people, including men and women. We're told in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was presented at the temple, there were two persons who recognized that he was the Messiah, even though he was just a little baby. One was Simeon, the other was Anna. And we analyzed these two characters, and we analyzed their faithfulness, and how is it that they could see past the outward to see that this is Messiah. But I want to point us to something even simpler about these two persons, that one of them is a man and the other is a woman. I want to point us to their gender more than anything else. And you wonder to yourself, why? Why so superficial? Why just look at their gender? Because if you consider the whole gospel of Luke, you will realize that Luke was structured in a very specific manner. Luke spoke about various aspects that he wants to bring to us. And one of the things that he does for us is that there are at least 26, 27 accounts of stories or things that happened in the Lord's life in which one case involves a man and then the other involves a woman. Let me give you an example, Luke chapter 4. Jesus delivers a man and then in the same chapter, he goes on and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Healing and deliverance is established that it is available to all men and women. Luke 7, Jesus heals a centurion's servant, and then in the same chapter, he heals a widow's son. Luke 8, a demon-possessed man was delivered, and then a girl was restored, and a woman was healed. In Luke 15, when talking about the laws, Jesus spoke about a shepherd who lost a sheep, and every man who was sitting there listening could understand the feeling of it because it was a male profession. And then he talked about a woman losing a coin, and every woman understood understand that because they all had a string of coins. In Luke chapter 13, the there is a farmer who plants a seed and again, the men understood this whole thing about planting and sowing. And then he talks about a woman who needs yeast into the dough and every woman understands that because they make their own bread. So when Jesus spoke, he made sure he spoke in a manner that women could relate to. He included the women and made certain to lay a groundwork for us to understand that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor, Jew nor Greek, there is neither male nor female. And this is unusual. 
This is unusual. You must remember this, the text that we have, the Bible we have is written over 2,000 years ago. And in those days, people don't make room for women. In the same manner, the account of the birth of Christ carries the same pattern. Gabriel appeared to two persons, one a man, another woman, Zechariah and Mary. Two songs were recorded for us that were sung, and one was by a man, one was by a woman, Zechariah and Mary. Two witnesses were found in the temple, one man and one woman, Simeon and Anna. It is as though God was emphasizing this to us from the onset, because the birth of Christ was going to revolutionize the world and change the way we look at things. When uh, in the previous point, I mentioned about the children that were massacred. And you're going to realize this, that in those days, children were treated very differently and valued differently from how they are treated and valued today, right? We now see uh, children as, you know, uh, as an individual of value. We see them as alive, you know, and, you know, uh, 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 a picture of the future and of destiny. But in, the, in 2,000 years ago, in the Roman Empire, children were not seen like that. They were, they, most people don't even observe them because they're everywhere. They're all over the place. In fact, children were specifically treated as objects and things of possession. They were sold and they were bought and they were used and they were abused. Many young boys in the Roman Empire were, were purchased as sexual objects. Many were abandoned, still more were beggars. When, and, and then along comes Jesus, and he begins to treat children so differently. One time the kids started running to Jesus, and then the disciples, in the mindset of their days, shoot the kids away. He says, get lost, because they had no value for kids. But Jesus says, don't stop them. And he begins to give value and dignity and a place for kids. And he said, to these belong the kingdom of God. He says that the, the, faith, the, the angels ever behold the face of the Father. And he says, unless you become like a kid, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus literally lifted them up, gave them dignity, and not only that, spoke about the protection of children because he said, you make any one of these stumble, you might as well go end your own life. There's something that Jesus did. He was so transformational. In the same way, the Gospels came and gave an emphasis on women that was unlike the culture of the, those days. This, God was intentional when He gave this Gospel account of the birth of Christ to tell us that women were involved from the very beginning in God's salvation plan. And this is 2,000 years ago, and this is what we got to know. The cast of characters is meant to help us understand that the Messiah is for everyone. Amen? None is prejudiced, and none is to be excluded from God's salvation plan. This is what Christmas is. No more reindeers, hello? There's no reindeer in Israel, come on. No more bobsleds, right? Who on earth is Santa Claus? Finally, the third thing I want to bring across to you is the content of prophecy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34, 35, Simeon gives a prophecy, prophetic word to Mary. And this is what he said, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. Think about this. Thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. Revealed. This is what I want to focus on. In its clearest level, Simeon was prophesying about the crucifixion of Christ. The sign that would be spoken of is the sign of the cross, and the cross brings offense. 
And it is also at the cross that Mary's own heart was pierced when she saw her own son, Jesus, crucified. And that pained her like a sword that pierced into her heart. But you see, as you examine the events surrounding the crucifixion, as we near the crucifixion, as we come closer and closer to the point where Jesus was crucified, people could no longer hide behind their masks. Whatever they were putting up as a front began to fall away and the hearts of people began to be revealed. Judas, a heart of greed and offense was finally revealed and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were gripped by fear and they never overcame it. And though when they were together, they had some level of strength, but that fear was never dealt with and they abandoned the Lord. The high priest sacrificed Jesus for political gain because he said it's better for one man to die and then, rather than for us to lose control over the nation of Israel and, be, and let them be scattered. Pilate executed an innocent because in his heart he needed to pacify the Jewish people so that he could retain his position. The soldiers abused Christ and let out their abusiveness, their base instinct, their savagery all came out. Peter denied Jesus because there was something that was brash about him that really needed to, dealt, to be dealt with. You see, as we come closer and closer to the cross and to the point where Christ is crucified, no one can hide anymore. There is something about the cross that brings about the revealing of our hearts. And God has a cross for every one of us. And when you near the cross, the pressure of the cross is going to press so much upon you that you can no longer hide behind a facade of who you think you want to be. But the real you will begin to come out. And that's what happens. That's what the cross does. That's what Jesus does. At the birth of Christ, at the entrance of Christ, the prophetic word is given because when Jesus comes, He births something in us. And God begins to deal with us and lead us to the cross. And at the cross, there's a full revelation of what is in us. The wonderful news is that even if we are revealed to be lacking at the cross, there is a redemption that awaits us because the disciples, every one of them found redemption apart from Judas. Peter was restored into the calling that God has for us. And this is what happens at the cross. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas brings us this wealth of truth about what God wants to do. The fact that He's there for us in dark times, in, in, dif in difficult seasons, the fact that He's there for both men, for women, or whatever you think, no one is left out. And even if it is not a division line of men and women, if you're going through some things in your life and you feel like somehow you're always misjudged, somehow you're lesser than others, God wants to uplift you up and say that He's there for you. And finally, He wants to reveal what is in our hearts. When Christ comes more than anything else, He comes for our hearts. A perfected bride, a perfected uh, body that will follow Him. I want to encourage us to, um, I'm going to bring this to an end. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? And I want to bring this, uh, I want to I pray for us and I want to encourage us that God will somehow reveal, you know, remove the veil from our eyes, amen. You know, I, I like Christmas, I really do, okay? So please don't think that this guy really hates Christmas and wants to destroy Christmas for, uh, for all of us, okay? And that's not my intention. And that's why I like to speak about Christmas when it is not Christmas season. Because then we see things in the truest light of what it should be. We see it as the Lord intended. We begin to understand things that God has embedded in the birth of Christ. This, the, the, the miracle of it, the magnitude, the purpose that God wants to bring. And I, I pray that it's not going to be lost upon us. Amen. I want to encourage all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes. If today, this morning, you're in a place where there is darkness, where maybe you're in a place of depression, and maybe there is crushing pressure that's coming upon you. Maybe you're in a place where the, your base and your foundation of security is being shaken and you kind of like are wondering, Lord, what's going to happen? I want to give you a word of hope today that Jesus was born in a time of tragic atrocities, in darkness so great. 
And yet he overcame it and he says that we will overcome it. By his grace, we will overcome it. And I want to speak to those who are going through a dark time that that is not the end of you, but there is a light that will shine through you in the midst of the darkness. The Lord will be with you. The Lord will encourage you. The Lord will strengthen you. He will not let you be forsaken. He will not forsake you. He will not let you, know, uh, he, he will not let you be crushed nor be put to shame, but the Lord will be there for you. Amen. And I want to speak to those as well in which you feel like somehow you are lesser than others that you are disqualified or you are ignored and the Lord comes especially for those right throughout the time that He walked upon the earth He always went to those who are the most rejected to lift them up, to uplift them to raise them up and God wants to raise you up as well and finally, for all of us God wants there to be a revealing of our hearts to show us what really is in us Lord to show us what needs to be perfected in our lives and Father, we just come to You we thank You for the message that comes to us when you gave your son Jesus Christ the great miracle where God took the form of man to be born as a babe in a manger Lord Lord the things that you desire to communicate to us from the gospel Lord Father help us to forget the things that the world has taught us and to come back to what your word says and what you want to communicate to us oh God restore truth oh God restore understanding and in that understanding we know that there is power there is authority there is an overcoming grace that comes to us Lord we just give you praise we give you glory and Father I pray for all my brothers and, uh, and, my, and my sisters and myself Lord and Lord, whatever it is that we are going through right now in our lives, may there just be a great impartation, Lord, of your grace and your help, Lord, as we gaze upon the birth of your Son afresh, Lord. We give you praise, we give you glory, honour. And Lord, now I just speak your blessings over my brothers and my sisters, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.